Veronica Baggio is currently an HR consultant, educator, and entrepreneur. She splits her time between these various roles while successfully balancing the needs of each. She is the owner of Balikbate, a social enterprise which uses indigenous Filipino weaves in new and modern ways. In today's episode, we talk about the path that led her to this juncture in her life and how her upbringing and education helped her get there. I do hope you enjoy today's episode. Good evening, Veronica. Welcome to my podcast. Good evening. I'm happy to be here. Uh, For the benefit of the listeners, do you mind introducing yourself a little? Sure. Um, I'm Veronica Baguio, not from Baguio. I grew up here in Cebu. Uh, Currently, I work as an assistant principal for for a pre-elementary to a junior high school. I also work as a junior consultant for an HR consulting firm, and we work with mostly homegrown companies and organizations here in Cebu. I also work as a marketing coordinator for an, for a caregiving school and um, I also started my own business and that's Balik Batik. Okay, yeah. So any of the, uh, was it 30,000 Facebook followers? I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we grew a lot. Uh, so uh, before we jump into that though specifically what you're doing now like I, what I usually like to do with my guests is take them on a trip down memory lane where we talk about what their lives were like before they became what they were right so if you could do me a favor and explain a little bit about your college experience because you and I went to the same college but had very different experiences yes I think we had very different experiences and my experience was um mostly colored by who i was in the school and for me that my identity was really um that i was a scholar uh, I, I got a scholarship to be able to study in ateneo because otherwise we wouldn't be able to afford it so i studied as a scholar and uh i had the privilege to be able to really be with the community of scholars in our organization Ateneo Gabay and so that experience has allowed me to see what I feel like are mm, a wide array of different experiences from different people in Ateneo. Mm. But you know that's the thing that people don't often realize about Ateneo because they make certain assumptions because it's an expensive private school that the people who go there are this monolith and that they're representative of a certain socioeconomic class and not many things beyond said class. Uh, but there are actually a lot of people who don't come from the typical stereotypical uh, comes from a well-to-do family and uh, just going to a private education that's very expensive. There are lots of people like yourself who come from more humble backgrounds that uh, really lend color to the university experience in Ateneo. So uh, if I can ask, right, because you are you were a scholar, right, and now you do quite a lot, right? How does your identity as a scholar shape who you are now? Um, I guess it really shaped me a lot. Um, well, I just want to, like, give data to what you mentioned if I remember correctly, it was Ateneo's goal to have 20% of its student population be scholars. And they're really working towards that. We're really expanding um, the scholarships they're offering, which I think is a great opportunity for, as you mentioned, people with more humble backgrounds to be able to study in Ateneo. Um, I guess what I'm doing now is 
my way of sounds cheesy but for me it's really real it's my way of giving back i'm really grateful for the education i was able to um get and the oaa the office of admissions and aid everyone who works there they're all lovely people and they never really made it hard for us scholars and so there's so much to be grateful for but they always also made us um made us really believe that we can really pay it forward in different ways and so the things i'm doing now i really see it as my way of paying it forward with everything i've learned from ateneo okay so uh you now have a bunch of different hats right so why is it that you've decided to assume so many different roles well to put it bluntly i well <laughs> it is a, i would i was gonna say it's not really my choice but it is my choice but in a way um they're all they're a package deal so the three of those roles or hats that i mentioned are roles i took up because of our family business which eventually grew wasn't as big as before but the past years we've seen growth in our um organizations and so i've taken on these different roles to help that and i guess i'm really passionate about them because they're really aligned as well with my personal um advocacies which is education um training people development okay so How was it like an active uh decision on your part where you decided to choose between a life potentially as an employee in a large mm-hmm. corporation as opposed to working in the family business and having to go back to mom and dad right like uh, or did you just sort of slip into that role like what was what was the thought process behind that like could you uh, walk us through it I I really remember that it was an active um there's a word i'm looking for uh um so it really was a more active decision making process for me i didn't want to just as you um the way you put it slip into the decision so the great thing about being a senior in ateneo is they really help you with the discernment process which i really remember they did um in our theology class someone came in and said we're going to help you discern decisions after you leave college and i was like okay i have a big decision to make if i were to go home to Aten- um to cebu or stay in find stay and find work in manila and i really remember writing the pros and cons and they guided us through the process and um it was in that class in theology where i decided i'm going to go home to help my parents because they asked for me to go home and so it was my responsibility to mm mm-hmm. But you you would probably describe yourself as someone who's very well who's very highly motivated to achieve. Yes, I'm very highly motivated. Others would say very competitive. I like to say highly motivated. Yeah, because there's no competition with you, right? <laughs> I'd like to no, no, I'm very no, no. <laughs> okay. So, uh but how did how did that process of like calculating, you know, would the level of achievement you could achieve in a larger company or a larger business? versus the family business go like if you if you can walk us through that thought process a little yeah so you know i feel like um there's this mentality that you can achieve more if you're in metro manila i think that's a thing that people from the province um have like oh you know some or a trap they fall into almost yeah like 
you can achieve more when you're in the big city. Um, I and of course you want to work in these big companies and get that big pay and stay in a nice condo. I think that's you know a lot of a lot of people think that that's the goal. And for me, it was more of a shifting of what I feel success is. And when I was discerning, I realized that you know success isn't all this glitz and glamour. I feel like success. Success can be finding your place in your home. And for me, it was really about helping my parents. And I think if I'm able to help my parents and grow um, our advocacies, then that would be success. Mm. So uh, how do you think your educational background kind of fits into what you do now? So you came from a psychology background, right? Which is not traditionally associated with like business endeavors and like enterprise. So uh, what were the challenges you faced bringing that discipline to this problem that I think you will agree was not entirely well suited for it? Um, well, you know, people would say that you take up psychology so you can go anywhere. That's literally what I was told. Yeah, go anywhere except where there are jobs. <laughs> no, but yeah, you know, they say that, oh, just take psychology. You can go, you can use it anywhere. But yeah, I did have a, I took up psychology. Um, I also minored in development management. Um, not just, um, I didn't take up management for the very... I don't know how to explain how to describe this reason but I just didn't want to take up accounting which already showed my aversion for the technical aspects of business but um, you know psychology the discipline of psychology taught me a lot about how to think about how to understand concepts um, how to deal with people as well um, um, and I think that practice um, really helped me into um taking up the role that i have now but i guess i want to go out of that because you know the joke with me and you know back then in our in back in college is i was like double major in psychology and bs org a bunch of other friends also would um share that feeling that we re I, i spent a lot of time with organizations and as much as my degree molded me it was really also my time working in different organizations in ateneo that made me prepared in handling a real organization outside of Ateneo. Mm. So uh, being this uh, incredibly motivated person and the the exposure to all these extracurricular activities, you had probably a very exciting college experience. But I think you and I will probably agree that life after college isn't quite as neatly structured, you know, oh, yeah. as, as uh, life in college whereas you know you have even in the org life for example it's kind of charted out for you the calendar from last year's org yes uh, is, is is the is the calendar for this year's org uh, and so uh, the milestones are relatively more defined in college so even in even in the extracurricular space uh, how do you define success in the roles that you are in now you know there are Working in our organizations, which are small businesses, you don't have very clear success metrics or success indicators, um, which I know big companies have because uh, in my work as a junior consultant, I've seen these um, success indicators. In a small business like ours, it's more of um, 
the way you define success can really depend on you but for me it's about the people that we work with and the people that we work for um when i see that for example one of our students is doing well when previously they weren't doing well in their previous school just because the way we the way we um teach um is more suited for how they want to learn i think that's a success so really i'm trying to see success and in the same way joy in the small small impacts that we have because then that allows me to see that this impact can be multiplied among the different people we work with or the students that we work for. Mm. So uh, having this uh, difference between large corporations and small corporations, and I think the implicit question in this question is the difference between large uh, family businesses and small family businesses. Uh, what are some observations or some key takeaways? Because what uh, for the listeners, uh, Veronica's uh, HR consultancy does serve some of the multi-billion peso uh, corporations that operate out of Cebu. And so she has a unique insight into what it takes to really reach that level of dynastic wealth that some people are able to achieve. So uh, if you could just outline a little bit about like the things that you see work in these large and successful organizations that are homegrown yeah so i've had uh, i've had the opportunity to work with as you mentioned really um ground up businesses that really grew from the ground up and now they're on their what second third generation and for me it really starts with some very motivated and hardworking people and that's what I see in the patriarchs, what they would say, because usually it's um, the patriarchs of the business who start it and they're handing it off to their children. Um, you can really see the motivation they have. And that's what really allowed them to grow their business. Um, one of our clients, he's already quite elderly, but he's still going at it. And his children are telling him, you can rest now, you know. Um, will take over but no he's still going at it and that really showed me you really need to put in the work to get somewhere and it and this is some from, this is someone who really came from a poor background so and he's able to grow something this big and you can really see his work ethic that shines through and it makes sense you know how they were able to achieve that mm, well i mean you you probably agree with the statement though that your family enterprise is not as big as those ones definitely not yeah, so how do you reconcile that sometimes? Because maybe you might look at your own business practice and see that it might fall short. Like, what is the what is that reconciliation process like? I guess it also really matters on what industry you work in, what industry you start your business in. So we are in the education industry, um, which I believe, and my parents also say, it takes more time to grow. Um one of our other um, businesses is the caregiving school um, that's we're actually celebrating 20 years and that one group we already have seven branches all over Visayas and Mindanao um, but that took time it takes time to grow an educational institution I guess compared to other industries where um, the growth can be really fast that's one thing um, so yeah it also um, matters where you put your work into but you know um, it's not just work for us also it's our mission 
it's our advocacy it's what we believe in so even if our business isn't that big um we really enjoy what we do and i think that matters yeah and that's the reason why like i i make the question the question was phrased as reconciliation right because you understand every day uh, when you run and operate a business that there is this ideal that plays out in your mind the way that you'd like events to go as you run your business but it never reaches that ideal and so a lot of being in business and you can tell me if you disagree is really reconciling those large expectations right uh, or these self-imposed dreams and aspirations with what eventually happens right like me for example if i would love tomorrow for a large client to come in and go hi i'm a billionaire with a large corporation and i need a lawyer who's going to give me very expensive legal advice <laughs> that's not how life works right and if we play to the ideal scenarios all the time then we'll just be constantly disappointed and so i think like that your answer really highlights something about how you really have to go back to uh, your why you know why are you in this business why are you doing these things and if you can just give yourself a cogent reason for staying in it right then it makes the whole slog of running a business run a lot smoother yeah definitely mm-hmm. so uh not now going to your going to the idea of business right you're very busy is that correct is that an accurate observation yeah very you know they call me bcv I don't understand that at all. No, my nickname uh, was V, so busy V. Okay, never mind, go on. It's a very bad joke. Um, so, with re- you are a very busy person. So, uh, why is it that you decided to jump into Balik Batik on top of everything that you're doing for your family? Um, uh while I'm thinking about why I, I would just kind of like maybe for the listeners who are not familiar so um, Balik Batik is the name of the social enterprise that I started around last year and I work with um, indigenous groups and weaving communities from all over the Philippines to create clothing pieces and um, I did I, I work in the family business but my background really isn't in business not really equipped. Um, I didn't really feel like I was um, equipped with a technical knowledge of starting a business. Um, I also do not have a fashion background. I do like wearing nice clothes, but you know, it, it a clothing line usually requires uh, a fashion background. But I guess um, why did I just jump into something new? I saw an opportunity. I saw something that people wanted and i could resonate with their desire to wear filipino clothes and i just went for it um i didn't think it would get so big um but i guess uh i didn't really think of it much that much i can say i did not think about it too much you just sort of did it i just did it uh, so, but you know, you actually started at a strange time. You know, you started in the middle, in the depths of the pandemic. Uh, yeah, why is it that of all the times you choose what is potentially the worst possible time to start a business? The thing is, I didn't choose to start it in the middle of a pandemic. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was still the it was still the Wuhan virus back then. I still remember reading tweets about it. 
Um, but I didn't think it would. I was like, oh my god, they're going to lockdown. I'm like, I can't imagine that happening here. And then suddenly, a few weeks later, it did. So I didn't choose to start this because I started maybe two or one week before the no no around two weeks before the lockdown in Cebu or three weeks maybe. So. Um, no one had an idea of what was gonna happen. That's when I started, and then suddenly lockdowns, and um, so yeah, I didn't choose it. <laughs> I just had to do it. Yeah, but you know, there, there was like a lot of uh, serendipity in how you got into this business because you know, like you were essentially a all online business model, right? Yeah, which is all that became viable for a while. Yeah, so actually, I really, I think a lot about, because a lot of people ask, how did you grow? And I also think, how did we do that? And I would credit it to the time when we had just started and when everyone was just on their devices online because that's all we could do during the lockdowns. And... I didn't even have much content to share. I just tried to share what I could given my limited resources that time. But I think that really allowed us to uh, connect with people online. And that's how we started getting known for our work. Mm. How, how, would you, how many people would you say are involved in the operation of Balik Batik now? Um, around 30 to 40 people um, in terms of... Like in indirectly... Account. Indirectly, I count our partner weavers, our designers, our seamstresses from different places in the Philippines. Around 30 to 40 different people. Um, right now, at its core, it's me and um, someone else in our team who helps uh, with the packaging and the uh, responses and um, logistics. We're not a very big operation, but we are a very wide network of artisans. Mm. And that's the thing that people often have a hard time understanding when, uh, you know, they're buying from brands online, right? Like they probably see a page with 30,000 followers and think, oh, this must be like a very formal operation. And this mm. must be, oh, like this, there must be like 20 people making this work. But, you know, what? a lot of the times when they find out, they're surprised that uh, that's very much not the case, I think, right? Yeah. Um, and it's something that I also, that thought like, oh, it's a big page, must be handled by a lot of people. Now when I started, when I, now in Balik Batik, when we're operating at this, like we're operating, we're shipping out every week, um, I realized, oh, maybe those other pages, maybe they're also like limited operations, but you know, they're able to grow. Um, actually, that I've, that allowed me to really be more understanding of other brands because I know what it's like to try and handle a lot of things. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so on that, right? Like it's just a. It is for all intents and purposes a one girl show, right? I well, I I've tried to go beyond that because I sometimes really feel that it is a one girl show, um, a one woman show, if you will. But I really see that there, while I'm coordinating a lot of things, I really can't claim it all. That's why I tend to really say R or we, because I really much prefer to see it as a collective. Um, all the work that we're able to do is possible because of everyone involved. Mm. 
but if you don't mind my asking, like, what were the challenges of starting a business the way you did, like in the middle of the pandemic and everything? Um, people would say, why would we buy that? We have no money, <laughs> literally. <laughs> and I was like, you don't have to. I'm not forcing you. But I'm, uh, it's true. I really had some people say, and not to, they weren't trying to bring me down. They were really just being realistic that people are going through difficult times and clothing and you know this is not your usual clothing it's more it it's more expensive um or it's fancier than usual though we do try to make things more wearable um they really told me that you know people won't be buying that at this time and so that was really one of the factors that maybe um made me question if we should push through and the thing is for me every time one person would order it meant a lot even during march april may june july especially those months anytime anyone ordered it would make me think um i think we can still do this uh, more than that it's just that every order is really the money that goes directly to our partners mm. and so there is always a reason to keep going mm. Okay, so you have outlined like a lot of the, I guess the the mental challenge to seeing the viability of your business enterprise because people confronted you with uh, why it wouldn't work. But maybe maybe for the listeners, maybe we can talk a bit about the nitty gritty, like an all an all online business. Like, w- what challenges did that mode of conducting business present you with? Um, I guess it's the volume of inquiries you get, um, because it's online, it's much easier to ask about things. Uh, and I guess that's something I had to deal with, especially when we started growing, there were, which is a good thing, right? It's a good problem to have. We had a lot of inquiries and we always had to be on top of things like, and by that, I mean, always online, um, other and other smaller um challenges would be um some people are not used to online shopping yet so um it would really well it's just extra effort on our part to try and explain how things would go but right now i think a lot of people are used to online shopping so it's not much of a challenge i think it's just sheer volume of inquiries we would get um compared to if we were um, maybe just a physical shop it would maybe not be as many but you know the more inquiries the better it allows us to share more about the work that we do mm. so uh if you if you could do me a favor and like describe a little bit about uh wait before before i get into my next question you know that's also something that i find even in my own business right like you really have to uh respond to people where they are like a lot of the business i do as a lawyer now is just being accessible on facebook reaching people uh, where they are yeah right uh this archaic notion of like the way things should be where a lawyer is like this monopoly of information people can come no you're actually competing with google you know like people don't need lawyers as much as they did before mm-hmm. and if you don't make yourself as easily accessible mm-hmm. as uh these platforms do mm-hmm. when they provide legal information like a lot of the routine legal stuff that people ask me about like if you could google it which is which is so i don't need to ask you anymore right if I uh, yeah sure, sure. <laughs> although uh, for the for the listener she has asked 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, and, and maybe that's why you became so successful because you had this very Filipina, uh, well, Filipino or Philippinks, right? <laughs> we don't discriminate on this podcast. Uh, is it Philippinks or is it Flippinks? I don't know. Philippinks. Philippinks. Okay. Uh, that uh, you you really met people where they were, you know, and yeah. at the time they were all online. Yes. At the time when they were all online, that's all we were too. <laughs> so, you know, it was just the perfect match. <laughs> uh, what has the uh, response of the community been though? Like, like wh- you, you now, I would say that you have a community. What is that like? I think you're referring to the community of like, well, we refer to them as local lovers. Is that what you mean? Is that, is that? Yeah, that's what I, I like to call them, local lovers. Okay, yeah, so like walk me through that. Well, you have people who have really, who really know about the culture of weaving in the Philippines. And so they're just glad that more brands are popping up. So that's not a lot of them. So a lot of our, a lot of um, people who know us are actually people who are like me. Um, people who would love to support local products but didn't really know um how much like diversity there is so that's why we really try our best to always post information always post photos of our weavers of the partner indigenous artisans because i feel like the more um knowledge you have the more you can appreciate the more awareness, the more appreciation. So most of the people in our community are actually, um, they they learn with us because we're also still learning. But we they learned weaves, they learned um weavers about um designs through us, and so they also and that's we're like some of that we've been told that we're like a gateway to the other brands as well. They see what we do and they see other brands are doing it, and so they really like the idea that they also have choices. Um, in the local products that they can support and that there's so much variety. Mm. But insofar as Balik Batik is concerned, like you actually have a following that transcends merely, uh, <laughs> let's say, you know, fashion conscious persons. Like you actually yeah. have uh, a, a kind of cultural impact where people like actually will swap, will use Balik Batik as a kind of catch-all term to refer to this <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that's happened. let's say uh n- local d- designs and local fashion yeah yeah that's happened um people see like local weaves like for example we really feature yakan um tenun a lot on our pieces and so when they see other clothing items having that they're like oh it's balik batik and i'm just like oh it's not but thank you so much for thinking that um, so I guess it's because of our reach as well. Um, we really, we really ha- got the chance to el- uh, bring these weaves and the visuals of the weaves um, into the consciousness of more people. And so maybe they connect that with us. Um, something I really like also about um, people who know us, especially artists, is they make art with our pieces and every time someone tags us it really it makes me killig to the bone like super um because it just and it makes our partners very happy too like wow mom they drew that thing we that dress we made or that um blazer we made so um yeah i mean sometimes it happens but that they think of us as like 
local lo- the local brand mm-hmm. but there's a lot right and uh now that you actually have an audience uh well of course you were a very important member in the communities you were part of before like being a scholar and everything and you were notable members in that community but now you have something of uh what millennials will refer to as a platform mm-hmm. right what is the responsibility uh that that comes with what, what do you feel you should use that platform for um i just want to share something that i don't really well it hasn't, i don't think i've really shared it before but um there was a time when i was afraid to be political on the balik batik example i handled the balik batik twitter account and there used to be a time when i would um forget to switch and i'd be liking these tweets that were political in nature and someone really said hey i'm following your account because i like to see the pretty stuff you post but i don't want to see your political leanings and during that time we were a very small account and i got scared that i might lose followers and so i became more conscious of um what we would post there Um, but something really happened. Um, it was the you know the arrests here in Cebu. I think that was Cebu Seven, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I really, we just had five thousand followers, but for me that's a lot. Um, and for me, you know, this is a small. It may be considered a small platform, but it is still a platform, and I could not help but really share my sentiments on that. And ever since then, I have really decided that, um, balik batik, it's we're we're going to take a stand. Um, we're going to have our political stance because w- for me, our mission is to promote local products. It's to promote indigenous groups and their work. It's to promote weaving communities. It's to promote the livelihoods of different Filipino um, uh, workers. And <laughs> to not take a stand on issues that matter is meaning that all this work we're doing just lip service like when we say it's our mission and we don't take a stand it's just saying it for the sake of saying it um so i really find that this platform is an opportunity to take a stand on relevant issues in the country today well if i can add to that like just a little bit of color like me i don't have as big of a platform i have a facebook page I with more people will listen to with you with 800 followers <laughs> it's, it's cute in comparison to balik batik's following but um it's weird because i come from the point of view of being a lawyer and with lawyers you have this thing it's called the sub judice rule which is something that or sub judis mm-hmm. right um if you're going to pronounce it in english right uh it's If something is under uh, the jurisdiction of the courts, we're not allowed to comment. You know, mm-hmm. like it's something that's actually it doesn't apply just to lawyers; it applies to the entire population. Mm-hmm. So, a court of law could could potentially issue an order to gag a reporter who's talking about a uh, discussion that's supposedly occurring in the courtroom, and that that's the job of lawyers to like fight it out in the courtroom and to argue, right? And so, a lot of these political Uh, things that occur like i have feelings on mm-hmm. right i have opinions on but i really have to temper myself because i think it's important that you maintain like a degree of impartiality i am also very politically minded like i have opinions about the way the country should be run i generally don't think we're in very good shape now mm-hmm. right I but 
I have to be very careful about the way I articulate yeah. that because there's a certain degree of decorum that's expected from lawyers and I have to self-censor a lot. And so when I look at you who, you know, really takes these things very seriously, it's very refreshing to see someone who is off the cuff, you know, who is willing to express themselves and doesn't carry the same uh, inhibitions that I do or that rather that I have acquired as a consequence of yeah. my unfortunate affliction of a law degree. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, where do you think, uh, on, on the political issues, do you, do you have anything that you feel very strongly about these days? <laughs> um, well, that's another whole hour of me ranting, but um, there are so many issues. I just feel like, yeah, like you mentioned, we're not in a good place. I hope that, I just hope that the right people step up to take up positions. Um, are you are you and this is going to be very controversial are, are you pro Dolomite Beach <sighs> oh my god no I'm pro Cebu Beaches we have the best beaches because that that sand was from Cebu it was taken from Argao right? yeah it was we passed by where they took it <laughs> yeah. right from the side of the mountain <laughs> I saw it personally I was like damn our mountain turned into a beach it's not cool yeah well, I mean, you know, some people would give up a few other mountains for the beach. Like, shout out to everyone in Antipolo. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it, it's it's a bit of a challenge, no? Like, especially coming from this uh, very politically minded uh, context. Uh, where do you think you're going to be going with, you know, all these different things that you're doing with your life? Where, where What's the general direction that you're charting for your life, given all these different hats that you're wearing? Um... I honestly am not sure because I because of COVID of the pandemic, it's just a lot of things unsure, especially in education. Um, right now we're still doing online classes for the next school year, though um I don't know what it will look like for the school year um two thousand twenty two onwards. Um, so I I can't wrap my head around that yet right now it's still it's still survival mode to be honest in these different organizations of course it's a bit better than this time last year but it's still really um survival mode for us it's still really trying to understand what's going on adapting and just moving forward with what we can so i really don't know um where i'm going with all this I just want to be able to help more people. That's, I think, very vague, but that's really where um, I'm trying to be at. So it's like finding my place. And if my place is juggling all these hats so that we can help more people, then I'm just going to keep at it. Okay. Well, on that very empowering and very impactful note, Thank you, Veronica, for coming on my podcast. It was a pleasure to have you on. I'm sure the listeners will agree. All right. Thank you. Okay. Good night. <laughs>